You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. I don't think people are really ready to get real, especially in music. They're not ready to, to, to get real. They're not really they're not ready to, to say the things that people aren't ready to hear. People are still afraid of themselves. I, 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 we live in a world that's deeply inauthentic. Hello and welcome to Drinks With God, a podcast about alternative theological experiences, death, and life. All of the following content is based on each interviewee's own personal experiences and is meant to be educational, not confrontational. Always have a soft opening anyway. So, so yeah. there's always a soft opening anyway. Oh, all right. Um, well, I'm already hard. So this is not working out well for a soft opening. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Not even the second beer. I'm a cop there. That's how you are sober anyway. Yes, sir. All right. So, um, welcome again to another episode of Drinks with God. Um, I'm here with Danks today, and we're going to talk about. Well, the music industry and what music can do, um, both to people and as a tool. Because, um, not a lot of people think about this, but for instance, what would a horror movie be without its soundtrack? Pretty damn boring and... It'd be actually- a world star hip-hop video. <laughs> <laughs> world star! World star! And it'd be, a yeah, it'd be pretty funny. And, um, and, and for, you know, millennia... Music and chanting and people joining in on that has been a major tool with how um, people create a unity and participation within a religion and create this sense of space and the sense of the sacred. So today with music, there's a whole lot of, um, well, like, aside from the fact there's different genres, there are, like, you go to, like, a, a concert. Like, especially like a, a multi-day middle of the world, Coachella, or like Coachella, like or, or, or like Electric Zoo or something. Zoo, right? Yeah, um, and it's it's a whole other world. It's really easy to create a whole other. Yeah, <laughs> that's not another world. That's just MDMA. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dr- yes. My face yeah. feels so nice. The lights are so pretty. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> hug me. No. Yes, uh, we've we've had other uh, many other episodes about uh, drugs and how wonderful they are. <laughs> anyway, enough of me just kind of babbling. You, thanks. Yeah. How about you? You start babbling. What? What? Why should we be fucking talking to you about music? <laughs> <laughs> why should we be talking about? We shouldn't. Uh, nobody in this industry. Uh, music. Music has always been a, a stirring factor in my life. Um, even from the time I was seven years old. Uh, I remember this actually quite vividly. Uh, my parents have been do- divorced for about three years, and uh, my mom started dating the divorce attorney. Talk about dependency issues, right? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole other show. Next week on Milo, dependency issues. And um, he played a cassette, because, you know, I'm old, in the car. <laughs> and uh, by the end of the first song, I was shaking and crying. My Jewish mother looks in the back. Adam, what's wrong? What's, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. She said, why are you crying? I said, because I just realized I want to do music for the rest of my life. The song was uh, Peter Gabriel, Rhythm of the Heat. And I'm uh, now a 43-year-old man. It's still my favorite song to this day. Um, music 
music has has moved me throughout my life. It has shifted me. It has been my career, my passion, my love. So um, while I may not be the most qualified human being on the face of the earth, I'm I'm definitely uh, interested enough in the topic to talk about it at great length. And uh, I'm a decent speaker. I'm not so boring. So right. no, you are good at that. Um, but you also you also pay very close attention to how to use music and how music yes. how music works within itself. Sure. Um, not only with uh, with DJing, but also you you, uh, you did some work. I did I did yeah I did a lot of vocal work um, auditioning for Broadway, doing some off Broadway community theater, local theater. So um, yeah, I'm familiar with singing. Also won the uh, Long Island, the New York State, and East Coast Karaoke Championships. Oh nice. It sounds silly, but it's a lot of fucking money in that shit. You can supplement your income. Oh yeah, <laughs> tens of thousands, man. It's it's, it's pretty pretty lucrative. Yeah, I, it will never cease to amaze me how seriously white people take karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> it should be Donald Jackson. That was a black man that takes karaoke very seriously. That boy is talented, though. Talented. If you're, if you're on Long Island, you get a chance to see the Donald. Go do it. Shout out to Donald Jackson. Hashtag Donald Jackson. I'll throw, I'll throw that in the show notes and I'll put that on Twitter. Donald but, never hear this. What do you, say? Oh, you, know, you never know. But uh, in terms of how music works within itself, when you're working. Um, softball question. <laughs> um, creating the the mood in the room, like as a DJ, like that's the number one thing you have to do. Oh, isn't it? Or is it? Like, or just kind of like keeping the vibe alive? What's the? I mean, well, well when you're saying number one, you do the order of operation, or are you talking about the priority? I would think priority. The priority is to make the people drink. Okay. Yeah. Um, unless I'm at a private event, then it's then it's to make them have a good time. But if I'm at a bar or a club, it's to make them drink. See, here's the, the, the secret of the bar and club industry that the people don't realize, the patrons don't realize, is, well, you know, this, uh, this DJ was okay, you know, like, everybody was up and they were dancing, and then all of a sudden, like, I don't know, he just kind of, like, lost it. And then he got it back, and everybody was dancing, and they lost it, and he got it back. Well, every time he lost it, were you at the bar buying drinks? Because if you were, he's smarter than you. <laughs> he, was, he was playing you to buy drinks. Get you nice and hot and sweaty, then get you off the dance floor so you can go spend money, come back out, buy drinks. I've worked clubs and bars where they're where they've told me flat out, you don't draw as much as this other guy, but they spend more money when you're there. Why do they spend so much? It's a science. It's using it's using that science. There are certain things that I can keep the, the mood in the room. I can keep um, for instance People usually walk off of a dance floor, but they bop their head to a song like Step in the Name of Love. Step in the Name of Love. It's kind of funk to it. You can bounce your head. But you don't want to be out there dancing on the dance floor to that. That's not... But I can go right up just one or two levels to Too Close. Remember that song? Yeah. We're dancing real close. Swing real slow. You're making... You're singing it along right now. You're making it hard for me. People are out dancing. And that's the first step. And you build them off of that R&B flavor. You start building a floor. Building more energy. More energy. A little no diggity. And start building into, like, family affair. Let's get it percolating. So you, you, you want to build that energy. Build it to, you know, higher energy. To hip-hop. From hip-hop into stronger hip-hop. You get all the way up to, like, you know... Uh, let me clear my throat, stuff like that, where people are jumping up and down and losing their friggin' minds. And then you bring it back down again. 
Go get yourself a couple of beers. Pay, pay the bills. I, I figured that you had some sort of method to your madness. There is a method. Oh, yeah. So, aside from knowing how to, like, keep people on the dance floor, it also, part of the reason I've noticed that people will, like, stay in a bar or leave a bar is whether or not they recognize a song, especially if there's something, like, unexpected. And I've noticed one thing you like to do is, like, to blend two songs together people don't expect yeah. to hear, and that'll definitely keep people there. Um... I don't feel that that... You don't feel like that's a part of it? Well, well, no, I feel it's a part of it. It's a part of it. I don't feel like that necessarily is conducive for dance floor as it is for listening. Yeah. If you are... Um, I, I love doing that on CDs. I love doing that on recordings. Um, I love doing that at a place where I know people aren't supposed to be dancing. Like, if I'm just watching this background tonight, I want to do more intricate things with how I blend and, and try to keep people interested in the music. Um, and, and like you said, they, they want recognition of the music, which is a, which is actually a pretty sad thing for us. As DJs in the, in the 80s and 90s, people would go out to hear the DJ break a record, to play a new record for the first time. Like, oh man, I never heard this song, it was awesome. Now, people need to be spoon-fed their, their music. It's not good until they've heard it. There's a meme out there. and you're looking for it, you'll find it. And it's a, it's a picture of a bunch of girls at a, at a party, probably about, you know, high, late high school or early college age. And they're all giving you, like, that attitude look with the lip all curled up and giving you a dirty look with their eyes. And the meme says, when the DJ plays their favorite song a month before they know it's their favorite song. <laughs> I had a girl at Claudio's in Greenport tell me to get a song off. She's like, what is this shit? A month later, asked for the exact same song. I will never forget it. She was kind of an unforgettable appearance. One of those girls you just remember? Well, I remember her. And I remembered the song. And I played it. It drove me nuts. It drove me absolutely nuts. Yeah, that, that would have fucking pissed me off. <laughs> I would have pointed that out to her, too. Oh, no, I did. I, I, I absolutely did. Yeah. So, you know, a month ago, you didn't like the song. What do you mean? So you asked me what the shit was. She's like, no, I didn't. I said, okay. <laughs> Actually, uh, speaking of attitudes, <laughs> um, another big thing about music in general is how, and this I find incredibly fascinating from an anthropological perspective, is how... Celebrities are the new demigods, and how musicians can, in so many ways, just like rise and fall. This new to you? No, it's not new to me. It's just like, I'm pointing it out right now. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I think back to Sinead O'Connor ripping a, a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live, saying "Fight the real enemy." Yeah. I think back to Terrence Trent Darby. Who? Terrence Trent Darby. Who? We got it sang Wishing Well. What? It was a really, really big song by a really amazing singer who could dance really, really well. He had dreadlocks and green eyes, and he was this beautiful young guy. So talented. <coughs> and his first album outsold the Beatles' first album. Oh, shit. And he said, well, the Beatles outsold the Bible. I outsold the Beatles. I'm twice as big as God. And that was the end of his career. <laughs> See, here's the one thing is, you can't go up against religion. That's the one the one place that music doesn't have power. It has power in religion, but it doesn't have power against religion. 
as Power Against War, U2 does that all the time, man. Singing about stopping war and marching, and Bono in his little leather pants and combat boots marching on stage. How you know? How long must we sing this song? And people listen. And you think about uh, the winds of change, Scorpions' winds of change, how that actually helped the Cold War end. That that mattered, man. That mattered in America. That mattered in Russia. People loved that song, and, and, and it, they all felt it. Um, you know, you look back to the, to the hippie revolution, you talk about Woodstock, the power of music. Music's always been used in religion, but the minute you start fighting religion with music, you lose. It's the one place that doesn't have power is over fanaticism. It's an interesting animal because, uh, I mean, we've all seen this. It can be used for good or evil. That religion in and of itself is not an evil concept. It's a group of people trying to pray together, trying to, you know, they, having the same faith, sharing that faith, bringing it together. Trying to make, yeah, just trying to make sense of the fact that we're all going to die eventually together. Yeah, and there's lightning, yeah. you know, where do we go when we die? We're all, we're all trying to, you know, find some sort of peace. Yeah. And the minute you indict religion, the moment you do that, the blowback on that becomes insanely high. Yeah. People defend religion more fiercely than they do their own children. It's crazy. Faith is a, faith, faith is a scary thing, but you know what? Religion is my music. You know, music is my religion. So for me... That, that defense is music. I would burn at the cross to, to have music in my life. And there was nothing nothing that would stop that. There was nothing that would stop me from having music. In terms of music um, in the service of religion, I don't know um, how f- far back you want to go. Um, do you want bar mitzvah? Uh, Shema Yisrael. We could do that. I mean, we could. <laughs> I, I, I was... Uh, I was going to talk about. Um, Kalima. No, I was going to talk about Prokofiev in the church, but. Oh. Okay. All right. But uh, actually, yeah, let's talk about. Kabul's Messiah. <laughs> I mean, there's some incredible music that came out of religion. Oh yeah. It's unfortunate because most of it was Christian. As a Jew boy growing up, <laughs> I always had to sing about Jesus. But it was great music, so I just kind of like let it fly. <laughs> I didn't care what I was singing. But um. Oh, of course. Oh God, I love this song. But actually, let's bring up a more contemporary um, song that's constantly looked at as a very uh, pro uh, pro Christian song, but other camps say it's not. Leonard Cohen, Hallelujah. Oh, 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 oh did you did you? I'm op- I'm opening you do that this on purpose. Can- I'm doing on purpose. I'm I'm doing this on purpose. Okay. You were, so I'm, I'm opening this can of worms. I didn't, I didn't realize that, that Milo knew my love for Leonard Cohen. Maybe it's just because I have a deep bass voice. Or, just because Leonard Cohen's awesome. I've, I've, yeah, but not everybody knows you know, that Leonard Cohen is the writer of one of the most covered songs in history. It, it is. Most people don't even know it's his song. They don't know who Leonard Cohen is. It fucking or sucks. was, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, all of his Swan Song album was fantastic. You want- Still, if it be your will... That's, that's the one for me. It would be your will that I speak no more. Yeah. And my voice be still. Oh, man, yeah. I love that, man. You, you want it darker? It was just so good, though. Uh, uh, but, but, yes. Uh, so let's, let's talk about... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, I'm of the opinion that it's not a Christian song, but it uses Christian idea, like, imagery. That it's... Within the no, 
that uses Jewish imagery. Oh yeah, let's come. Let, let's talk about that. Well, um, David, who's Jewish, yeah, he's, he's making Jewish. He's talking about Jewish, Jewish. Well, I mean, it's Christian religion as well. It's Old oh, yeah. Testament. Yeah. Um, but wow. I mean, I, I, honestly, I haven't. I have to like go over the lyrics in my head to really to, to do this. I haven't really yeah. thought so much about it about the lyrics. I heard. I heard that um, there was a sacred chord. That David played and pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes it was like, like this: the fourth, the fifth, the final fall, the major lift. Babel King composing Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> it is. I never took it as particularly, I never took it as, as, as particularly religious. Yeah. Um, I, um, I look at it as, as, as um, moments of release. You know, I, I don't mean this physically, but moments of orgasm. Oh, yeah. Orgasm of, of, of uh, no, I, I took it as using... Catharsis. Yeah. Moments of catharsis. Exactly. No, I, I took it as a study in catharsis using religious terminology, but Sometimes. not but not actually in the context of religion. Right. Yes, I'll, I'll go with that. I'll absolutely go with that. All right. Pause for drinking. Um, Do you have to pause for that? Is that just going to happen? No. <laughs> just how it goes. In terms of using religious terminology and also... Create um, just creating a sense of the holy out of a not holy subject. Uh, although I mean catharsis, that in and of itself, you you can argue that point. You could argue. I mean, like, I've had a religious experience. I mean, like look at it the way I, you know, like like that, you know, spiritual catharsis or just kind of like, out of body. Like there's a hundred ways to describe, and religion is one of them. That 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 ultimate catharsis, that ultimate uh, spirituality, that, that existence beyond the, the mundane. Yeah. And I think that's where he's going with that. I don't I don't think it's actually about God. Yeah, no, I definitely don't. Although I mean, he does have a lot of songs. I mean, look, God, God, the devil, um, the, 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 the idea of good versus evil, the idea of, of uh, darkness versus light has been, was, was a constant uh, in his music, and even even and we, we go before about the, the construction of music before, about the use of the music, the use of music in and of itself. If you've noticed, Leonard Cohen kind of almost sounds demonic. Yeah. And if you think about the women that he chooses to sing with him are almost angelic. They're, yeah. The women that he chooses are either very very light voiced angelic or gospel women. Yep. It's to create that dichotomy between good and evil, that the, the devil is singing against the angels. So, I mean, that's just, that, you know, Leonard Cohen is a, a very, very good uh, study in, in, in religion versus music and, and where, that, where that world lies, you know. And so for Leonard Cohen, I, I think that line is supposed to be blurred. I don't think we should have an answer to that question, and I think it's. Oh yeah, it's just it's an interesting thing to mull over. Oh, of course. But point. I think, but I think he created that point to do that. Yeah. I think he always, always intended this discussion to happen. Oh yeah, um, someone who kind of like played with the territory but never really went there also would be Tom Waits. Not, not so familiar. Oh, you're not so familiar. Not with so him? familiar. With him. I mean, I know him, but like, oh yeah, move on. Um, just because he did similar things with his voice, but he, no. he has. A versatile enough voice that he can actually sing a lot more um, beautifully 
than just the raspy, rough voice that so many people associate with him. So he will go back and forth between the two and almost do out with himself. Mm. It's very interesting. Um, less so as he's gotten older. <laughs> Cigarettes and whiskey are going to do so much on the vocal cords. <laughs> but... Um, Funny, they already stopped. Already started happening to Jim Morrison before he died. Yeah, that early in his life, he was drinking so much, smoking so much. And um, and speaking about uh, the transcendent and looking at uh, different forms of spiritual experience, the Doors and what the end uh, led up on in that whole era of music. My focus in that time period was almost single-eyed at Pink Floyd. On Pink Floyd, well, I was so deeply in love in love with Pink Floyd they, they had some fantastic songs I'm not going to say I don't like them I'm a big fan I I, um, I was having a conversation I had to be in the last uh, it was New Year's Eve a guy had come over to me and was talking about we were talking about Pink Floyd specifically and he said, you know, yeah, well, everybody can name, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, and everybody can name, you know, The Wall, and, and uh, I Wish You Were Here. And I feel like nobody doesn't know anything off of, you know, off of anything else. I said, well, I mean, do you want to go psychedelia? Do you want to talk Sauce for the Secrets, Five Brigades of the Dawn? Or would you want to go all the way up to Pulse? Where, where, where do you want to go with that? And he kind of looked at me. He's like, so, so you know their body. I said, he's like, what's your favorite? I said, the final cut. He said, why the final cut? I said, because it was the answer to the wall. It was the last one Roger Waters did. Uh, Roger Waters, to me, is the voice of Pink Floyd. Always will be. Uh, I love Sid Barrett. I love him. And I love David Gilmore. But David Gilmore was like peace and resolution. Roger Waters was the pain. Sid Barrett was just confusion. <laughs> it, was, it was just drugs and confusion. But, like... But like uh, that gray area, yeah. Yeah, but there was there was no gray area in Roger Waters, man. It was it was hurt. It was this this just tortured, tortured soul. And and he could express it so well. Like his voice the music in his voice matched. Peter Gabriel had that as well. You didn't have to speak English to almost know what he was saying. And I, I don't feel you hear that. In, uh, in in modern music, I don't I don't you know if you listen to Cardi B, you don't you don't hear anything in the music. The music doesn't tell you how she's feeling or what she's whether she's making money moves, yeah. whether she's wearing bloody shoes or you know that she's uneducated, which she is. <laughs> it's just it's catchy, which is it. It's repetitive. It's yeah. the exact same dun dun yeah. dun. Like the wheels on the bus go round and round is also repetitive and catchy. Also is. Dun, 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 dun. Humans like things that repeat. Get that out of your worm out of your head, fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> it's just countless, countless number of riffs, songs, ditties that exist simply because repetitive not just cells but sticks but that doesn't mean it has a soul when it has a soul it, it doesn't just stick it lasts that's my two cents anyway I'm, I'm thinking about that um, I think I think 
I think the unfortunate matter is when it, when it has a soul that is identifiable on a very generic and inauthentic level, it sticks. I think when it's truly deep and authentic, I think when it's primal, when it goes to a place that people are afraid of, they run from it. I don't think people are really ready to get real, especially in music. They're not ready to, to, to get real. They're not really. They're not ready to, to say the things that people aren't ready to hear. People are still afraid of themselves. I, 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 we live in a world that's deeply inauthentic. And when artists come out and they are truly authentic, they have a very small cult fan base. Um, artists like Roger Waters and, and, and Peter Gabriel are perfect examples. But to expand on that, Mike Patton uh, is, is one of those artists. Um, Beirut, Devochka. Um, there's, there's, there's bands out there from all over the world. Actually, there's bands right now coming out of Colorado that are doing that. Uh, the music, the music scene, by the way, the, the, the indie music scene in Colorado is unparalleled. We're, we're talking like the music boom. We're talking like British invasion level. Like, like 90s grunge. The Seattle grunge? Yeah, Seattle grunge. Uh, I don't think that a single place has owned music as much as right now Colorado is owning music. We've had these episodes. We've had the British invasion. We had the New York rap invasion, you know, with the New York rap explosion, you know, where it was like the, the big difference was what borough you were from. That's how big New York was where Bronx rappers were going against Queens rappers were going against Brooklyn rappers because there were so many guys coming out of New York. And then California hit. And it was Long Beach, L.A., Englewood, you know, uh, it, it Compton, that, that small little area. And Cali was producing it. Then Atlanta, you know, Atlanta's been big. You know, right now, the, the trap music is, is really what's, unfortunately, <laughs> is, is what's working really well. Rock, right now, is unquestionably in Colorado. And it, it needs to come back. We, we need to... We need to get some of that Colorado sound out in this world. It's it's beautiful. They're bringing back instruments that people don't use anymore. They're bringing back ukuleles. They're bringing back accordions. They're bringing back strings and woodwind instruments. They're bringing back a fucking orchestra. And they're going to fucking rock this planet. I'm really excited for it. Oh, that sounds exciting. It is. Yeah. It is. There's a beautiful scene out there. Beautiful scene. Beautiful people. Lots of drugs. <laughs> yeah, well... Um, again, just come hand in hand. <laughs> going back to that, like that transcendent experience of like what music does and what music helps promote. Um, drugs also help promote that that whole like create the scene, create the setting of looking at a unifying human experience. Which a lot of like people who are way into the drug scene will say that's what drugs do. Some, I see. I see some people on drugs definitely wanting to be alone. But for the most part, yeah, I agree. Is that guy in the corner? Leave me alone! It depends on the drug. It's coming to eat me! Dude, stay off the penny of cyclophene. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat the brown acid. I was one guy at the party playing trap music. I was one guy at the party doing angel dust. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of dubstep action. Oh, boy. Um... <coughs> I found something really fascinating with that when it first was coming out. A lot of people were not were either like really into it, people who were like way into the club scene, yeah. or 
people are like way not about it. But I, who've never really been in the club scene, people were doing dubstep remixes of like classical pieces. Sure. Because I'm, um, it's I think it's fascinating how what dub, dubstep really means. It's the it's the second note drops. Second second beat. Yeah. Second beat drops. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, yeah. It's not it's not a genre of music. It's it's a method of it, editing. It, it is literally just a, it, it's a rhythmic it's a rhythmic pattern. So anything most almost all music. I, I mean, anybody who really knows music much. Not not all music. There's lots of things in three four time. But most music is written in, in some degree of four four time. One two three four two two three four three two three four four two three four one two three. Dubstep. He goes one. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. That, that. So when you're when you're listening to the EDM, uh, the the one the one that sounds like two computer modems fucking. Yeah. It's boom, boom, But you can do that to rock. You can still put that second downbeat on rock. It would just kind of sound like somebody is putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah, but it's it's still in the same rhythm. It's still in the same beat. Um, hearing that, and I should I'll, I'll find the link to some to a couple of these, and I'll put them in the show notes. But, uh, hearing that put on Gregorian chants, <laughs> but done decently well. Um, I think that's fantastic because you're taking one trance like scene and mixing it with another trance-like scene, you know, we were just talking about, um, like, a, mu- a music multi-day venue where someone just, you know, it's like there in another world for a couple days, or the kind of, um, other world experience of you're in, an, like, you know, flickering candles, chanting in Latin, hanging out with monks, kind of a, a church. Or, or, around a crowd of overworked uh, starved Indian people ripping out somebody's heart singing Molodom Sugarom that's an Indiana Jones <laughs> I, I, I know it was an Indiana Jones okay. I, I just, like, it just shit the bed All right, I, never mind. I was trying to figure out a good uh, a good comeback <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene though how do you die? Well, that's Kalima. Kalima. Uh, Everybody remembers that. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the worst part is that you, you you just talked around a shameless plug I was about to give. Oh, well, A shameless plug. Dumpstep. I am putting together a house dumpstep and capoeira rhythm remix. Oh, yeah? Capoeira. Yes, capoeira music. I'm I'm trying to picture it in my mind's ear, but I can't. I'm sure I will. Once Brazilian. It's, yeah, it's no, no. I, I know what capoeira is. Um, actually, explain it for the audience because they might not. <laughs> okay, well, capoeira is um, a Brazilian martial art and music form. You might know it from the episode of Bob's Burgers. Don't watch Bob's Burgers, well, but it may, have, it may have existed. Yeah, but, but some <coughs> people might. Know. A movie called Only the Strong, as well. As, um, oh, yeah. A fucking great movie, by the way. Banana way, banana way. Anyway, um, they, uh, the Brazilians at one point were slaves, and they were not allowed to practice fighting, so they colored their fighting to look like dancing. 
Uh, it looks actually a lot like breakdancing. Um, a lot of people say that's where breakdancing comes from. I don't know for sure, but um, I definitely see the connective tissue between it. So anyway, I'm putting together a remix that goes from house into dubstep, into capoeira music, back into house, and it changes various genres. And remixing an old classic rock song. One Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. Is that going to be a running thread throughout the whole album, or is it just going to be like Nope, a... it's going to be one song that, okay. can, that, that drops, changes rhythms, and does all sorts of cool things. Cool. So Very cool. Yep, yep, yep. So that should be on the... I don't know if it's going to be on 2 or 3, Identity Crisis 2 or 3, but there's definitely two volumes that will be coming out somewhat shortly, so keep looking for that, folks. Well, uh, there will be, of course, links in the show notes to Danks and his work. Uh, I appreciate that. That's how I do. But, um, it, it's, and actually bringing up, like, uh, music from different cultures, it's when you see how one culture's music is going to inform popul- like popular music in another country, just, um, it's actually amazing how that just becomes explosive, just as a uh, quick throw, especially when you bring that into how the cult of celebrity is going to inform that. Um, I am going to, of course, be speaking about uh, Desi Arnaz and how <laughs> and how he took made Babalu <laughs> curveball <laughs> curveball left field hit by pitch. <laughs> I'll set box for a second. Ooh, I'll some to... fucked up questions at me, man. I'm a DJ. I'll play the Babalu. <laughs> I'll set box for a second, and you'll jump in. I guess. All right. So. Um, so, <laughs> Cuban, like, um, Cubans and Hispanics in general, like, in the 50s and, like, up until then, especially in New York, they were caricatured on TV. I mean, you know, you could look at, uh, the Marx Brothers just to get a hint of how they viewed any sort of cultural minority, um, in terms of, uh, comedy. But then, you take a look at... I Love Lucy, and you saw Desi Arnaz, who was constantly pulling in his music into the public forum. And it was, and that was right where it was becoming a more popular form of music in the clubs. Jazz was, it was a decade after jazz was becoming more of a thing, and people were actually paying attention to it and uh, accepting of it, and big bands, especially with a very Latin influence, were starting to become more and more of a popular genre. Tijuana Brass. Yep. yep. And by the 60s, that was, you know, full-blown the order of the day. You know, if people jump... 70s. Oh, oh. Brass was 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. Or Broward. Um and, and it's funny because there, there, there is that trend is coming back now. Yeah. With uh, the, the emergence of reggaeton, mumbaton, salsa, tipico. Um, I mean, there's obviously... Uh, you uh, look around, the streets are becoming a lot more Latin than they used to be. Oh, yeah. And, and the music is following. Um, you know, and uh, it's actually uh, one of the things that I've always loved about being American is the, the, the melting pot idea. Yeah. And, and um, there's my flag-waving pride moment. Um, <laughs> but, but, it, but it is, man. And I, I love that idea. I love the fact that our culture is... Your culture. I love the fact that our culture is the, the amalgamation, the, the conglomeration of, of, of 
of all of our cultures, of all of our backgrounds, our histories, our music, our, our colors, our foods, our, our dances, and and to, to bring that in and, and create a best of, you know, for, for all of it. Um, I've been having a lot of fun lately, uh, musically, with reggaeton and mumbaton. Yeah. Uh, just real quick, what's the difference between the two? Reggaeton... The beats are actually the same. The beat is the, the beats are exactly the friggin' same. Um, reggaeton is um, Spanish, you know, Spanish speaking, so Latin. Um, it's um, often like a, a reggae style beat. Tends to be a hip hop delivery or similar to a hip hop delivery. Some singing. Mumbaton tends to be a little more uh, electronic, uh, electronic based, a little more EDM based. Typico is really, really fast. Oh, you have Dembo. Dembo is reggaeton, but it's Dominican. Okay. So you don't, you're not unless you know the difference between a Dominican and a non-Dominican. You don't know if it's reggaeton or Dembo. It's the exact same thing, but Dominicans don't want to be associated with reggaeton. This in the Latin communities. There's a war with other Latin communities. Some of them like each other, some of them don't like each other, and there's a lot of pride. This is my country, and this is my music. So that runs into it. Tipico is um, is super fast merengue. So all the music kind of like kind of overweaves itself, and there's there's a lot of similarities, but it's hard to tell the difference, especially as a gringo. You know, you'll, I don't know if this guy's American or not, <laughs> but you got, but you got to know as a DJ, you got to know because if you're playing, like, if you're playing a, a Puerto Rican party and you drop a Dominican artist, they're not happy. Yeah, dead silence, laying on the dance floor, asking you out. Look, yeah, you get you, you get eyes, you get eyes. It's, it's not good. Yep. Um, and actually, what's really funny is this whole time you're talking about all these different Latin music genres and how they work together and how they're different and how they're how each individual artist is very, very separate or, like, wants themselves and their music to be very, very separate. They want it to be cultural for their country. Yeah. yeah. It's all about... Yeah. And then here, it's like, fuck off. Yeah. You're, you're, you're part of the pot. But all I can think about, of course, is all the different um, uh, um, opera writers and singers... Um, in have cannibalized the, each other for centuries. Yeah, and it was like, no, no, no this, this is German, this is French, this is Italian. And this like, is Andrew Lloyd Webber, who's taken from everyone, all of them. Yeah, <laughs> like, and and just the way that like they would like this is this is me, this is my country, this is how we do it. But within the genre, it all kind of melds together. But then, like for that own nationalistic pride, it's very interesting to see how it becomes like part of the cultural identity, even though it's still part of, like, the international genre as a whole. That, that, just, just that dualism I find very interesting. Well, I mean, but this is also, I mean, the genre that you're pulling up is also over a millennia of, of, oh, yeah, of I, different... I, I, I'm talking about something that, like, is, has a very wide reach. Um, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, when, when, you're, when you're doing classical... It's a completely different animal. I mean, most of these guys didn't even live at the same damn time. Yeah. Um, and and uh, truly, some are standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, this is... There's... There's so much classical music. This Classical music can be its own show, every podcast, 
every week, and you'll never get through it. I'm sure there are podcasts that do that. Yeah, I'm sure there's like dozens of them, and they're probably very dry, very difficult to listen to. <laughs> My guests are drunk, so that this isn't dry. <laughs> Fair enough. Generally. Fair right? enough. Yeah. <laughs> the, non, the more non-dry, the better. <laughs> yeah. Again, DJ life. <laughs> All right, so we're back. Yeah, after several drinks. After several drinks. Several, and you know, if you, you haven't noticed, the background noise is much quieter. Most of the people have left the bar now. Yeah, now we can actually talk. Oh, wait, you've got my drink in your hand. Come. Oh, shit. Oh, my bad. So, uh, I wanted to ask you a bit about Broadway. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's a lovely street in Manhattan. Lots yeah. of tourists, though. So. Oh, God, yeah. F- uh, so many, many tourists. But, um, so specifically, when we're talking about music and when we're talking about creating a sense of place and a very specific atmosphere is real and fanaticism, talk about uh, Broadway fans. <laughs> so well, I know I know that you've got your own special expertise when it comes to Broadway. Here. I do, uh, and, and my own special passion and experiences. Um, okay, so what we're talking about with the the Broadway fanaticism, um, <coughs> it's a it's a deeply feeling crowd. Yeah, um, I've found uh, not a stereotype, but let's do it. Um, I found it. Uh, very, very, very big in gay communities, but I've also found that gay people tend to be a lot—not not always, but tend to be a lot more in touch with their emotions, with their with their with their depth of emotions uh, than, well, at least than, than my counterparts, heterosexual male. Um, as a as a as a boy who grew up with a, a sister and a mother with no father, no brothers, and that much of a male influence around the house. So it was almost almost kind of like the same thing, you know. It was just I was just raised into in a very effeminate world. So uh, emotions and talking about feelings and being in touch with those feelings was very very natural for me, very very normal. Um, that was that was my upbringing. Broadway, uh, the music, the the emotion that that that's brought in with the lyrics, with the with the orchestrations, is there's there's a tremendous depth there. There's a, a tremendous authenticity. Uh, uh, a spiritual nudity, almost, where you you say things in a way, or, or be things in a way, where you're very unprotected, you're very vulnerable, and uh, I think that that speaks to a, a very specific community. Yeah. Um, no, not I mean, and, and not gay per se, but but uh, just emotionally accessible. Well, no, I think it's very true that in the gay community, speaking as a gay male. That it's um, just a, a big part of the of queer culture to be vocal about your emotional state, mm-hmm. which is what music is all about well, in I mean, so many ways. The most of the men that I grew up, my contemporaries, that's 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 heresy. You, just, you don't do that. Men don't cry. Boys don't cry. You don't, you don't, you don't play football. But there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball or football. And or football, uh, yeah. unless 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 it's your retirement speech, then it's completely okay. You're okay. allowed to cry at your retirement speech. Yeah, save all those tears for your retirement speech. Right, right. You're not allowed to cry during the game. But I, I've always had that that uh, emotional vulnerability. I've always had that that accessibility. And uh, Broadway spoke to me uh, specifically, Lady Miss Rob. Yeah, Les Mis has always reached me very, very deeply. 
big fan of Miss Saigon, Jekyll and Hyde, Phantom of the Opera. So there was that yeah. that was that eighties, nineties Broadway that really did it for me. No, Jack. Jacqueline Hyde, I've always had like a particular affinity for. Uh, unless, unless David Hasselhoff is doing it, because the Hoff ruined it. Oh, the the Hoff. The can, Hoff. Uh, the Hoff ruins all things. He ruined Baywatch, dude. How do you ruin just women oh, running and being too? Oh, uh, that that weird like let's try to bring X Files into this version of the of um, Baywatch that they threw in there. What was there? Was there an X Files Baywatch version? No, they did like a weird. Um, there was a Baywatch spinoff that was like. Um, it was like a paranormal investigation, but it was a guy who was a surfer, and it was starring David Hasselhoff. Chasing a three-titty thing down the beach. That would have made it way better. Way better. Like Total Recall, the three-titty woman. That, I'm just, that's what <laughs> There was no Total Recall episode of this TV show. Uh, I'll, it's so much better. Oh I my know. god, I need to produce television show. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll find the, the... Like, even just the... Uh, like I can picture clearly in my head what the uh, the opening credits for this. There was like a dove flying and David Hasselhoff screaming and like weird like candles everywhere for no, and they were in a castle for no reason. Even though it like you never saw a castle in the entire show. It was fucking weird. I'll, I'm gonna post this in the show notes and I'll I'll, I'll email you. So it sounds like Peter Jackson's earlier films. Oh no, <laughs> that'd be fucking <laughs> bad taste. Yeah, bad taste is great. <laughs> the rocket flies through the house and hits the cow out in the middle of the field. Fantastic! One of the funniest things I've seen in years. The whole, the whole budget was that one fucking scene. So. He scores out the alien. I'm born again, and then they go back to the movie. <laughs> Horrible. Oh, God. Um, anyway. Surprise reference there. Uh, there's a lot of those in this show. Okay, in in my, po- my podcast listeners, if they're still actually out there and paying attention to me, they haven't scared them all off by now. So, <laughs> a big part of um, po- a big part of the cult of celebrity, which, uh, which uh, David Hasselhoff enjoys um, in Germany. More or less. <laughs> More or less. Um, some, less. <laughs> mo- mostly ironically. Um, a big part of the cult of celebrity is what someone is and what someone pre- pretends to be. And we did, in fact, want to talk a little bit about today's music. What the kids these days is listening to. Ah. Um, stories that they be hearing. And if you could just kind of come close on I will... I'll come a little closer. Um, actually, yeah, this is um, an interesting point um, that Milo and I were discussing uh, prior to the show. Is when I was growing up back in the days, in like what the seventies? It's not too far off. I, I, well, I was I was growing up in the seventies, but that was like like learning how to not finger paint with my own shit. Okay. Yeah, like that was the 70s. We're so glad you've moved past that. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I have moved past that. Now it's just trying not to shit myself. You're a couple beers away from... <laughs> from going back to that. <laughs> reverting back to finger painting with my own shit. <laughs> We're going to cut the show off before we get to that point. Yeah. Well, you know, they can't smell it. Uh, I don't care. I can. <laughs> so, I've had other episodes that deal with kink. We're not doing that on this show. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I, actually, I didn't know where you wanted to go with this. You never know with you. I wanted to go to the Cult of Celebrity with this episode. Okay, Cult of Celebrity. So, what I've noticed is this disturbing trend. Um, when I was growing up, when I was a young feller, the, the rappers, the performers, it was about representing who you were, where you were from. It was about being real. Shit, even Jennifer Lopez had a song, I'm real. Like, it was all about being real. 
Uh, Millie Vanilli wasn't real. They had to give their they have to give their Grammys back. Yeah. And uh, Vanilla Ice wasn't real, and he got ostracized out of the business. And then Drake comes out with like starting from the bottom. What are you talking about? You grew up in an upper middle class family in Canada, and you were on Degrassi Junior High growing up. What, what the bottom of the ratings? What are you What are you talking about? You start from the bottom. Uh, Twenty One Savage. There's a new rapper. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight M in my bank account. You have eight million dollars in your bank account. This is your first single. Congratulations on the fastest selling single in the history of music, times a hundred. You don't have eight million dollars in your bank account, and uh, he's talking about Ferraris that he doesn't own. They're they're talking about their dreams as if they're reality, and somewhere in the mix, people stopped caring that they were being lied to. I mean, I guess that I could explain the current election, but <laughs> but 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 somewhere it stopped being important, being told the truth. Stop being important. Well, I, I would love to pinpoint when that moment was. You know, as, as a listener, as a, as a music fan, I'm kind of offended. One of the big things that made me really interested in uh, in rap was all the personal um, back and forth that was going on with one artist having a specific, uh, you know, not even a vendetta. There was a specific oh. argument. Where there would be back and forth. So by the rap war. Yes. Oh yes, that yes, 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 yes. Was what I actually like got me interested in the genre, and that whole actual beyond down to earth realness, but like actually like in the moment using music and using their celebrity in real time to talk about and like climbing to stardom with real time events. And the culture of their feud being the culture of their celebrity. Like, that's where fantastic. You, where, where are you talking about this as a genesis for you? Are you um, talking like Neil Young and Sweet Home Alabama? That. that, like that, or, are that we talking, are we talking this, uh, the evolution of hip-hop? Um, I was specifically talking the evolution of hip-hop. Okay. But, like, Sweet Home Alabama in and of itself is a fantastic... With that reference to Neil Young. Oh, yeah. Um, Which, by the way, they claimed was not a dig, but... That was a bit of a dig. Yeah, they called and him Lucy out, like, the Sky of Diamonds was not about acid either. They right? called him out, like, three times by name. <laughs> <laughs> that was a dig. Okay, so... So, t- so, like, enlighten me further, because, like... So you got... Let's see. Jay-Z and Nas had a pretty wonderful one. Um, my favorite of all time um, ended up in this multi-pronged war, which, by the way, I will send you links. You can put them here. They're some of the most amazing uh, rap wars I've ever heard. Okay. It started with uh, a gentleman by the name of Benzino. Okay. Benzino is the half-owner of Source Magazine. And in Source, there's a column called Unsigned Hype. Rappers that are making waves that nobody has signed yet. Pretty, pretty great idea. Actually. Yeah. And in that was an article about a young man by the name of Marshall Mathers. Oh shit! <laughs> I know who that is. And reading unsigned hype, suddenly this cassette was put on a table. The man puts the listens in and says, "Holy shit! We have to sign this guy. Wait, he's white. We really got to sign this guy." And Dre signed him. About two weeks later, Benzino called to try to sign Eminem. 
but it was too late. And the war began. Benzino went after Eminem and Dre. And he picked the wrong fight. Eminem went back at him like you would not believe. One of the best, one of the best battle raps in history. Goes at him. He comes back. Pulls the race card. Comes after him. Call him the rap David Duke, the rap Hitler. Culture stealing. Ain't with you. Like, got really nasty. Threatened Haley. Threatened Haley's life. Got really, really nasty. He goes back at Benzino. Then Ja Rule gets involved. <laughs> and who is Ja Rule with? Ja Rule's on Benzino's side with Bad Boy Records. Okay. Not with Bad Boy Records. Uh, what was with Bad Boy Records? Uh, no, Murder Inc. Sorry, Murder Inc. So he comes in with Murder Inc. He goes after. He goes after him. Fifty Cent goes back at him, and then it just starts going all out of hand. Rappers of all different groups are just fired at each other. Okay. And it gets to be, um, I mean, we're like a Jada Kiss making fun of like some dude D twelve and nobody cares about Obi Trice. Like these guys are all going at each other, and then the gunfire starts. Yep. And guys that are at the bottom of the chain get killed. And then Eminem releases a song called Toy Soldiers to stop the whole thing. He was the one that took the balls and stepped forward and be like, you know what, this is stupid. Where is this going? And I just wish that he would have written that song before Biggie and Pac got killed. Because these wars have not always been about words. They, 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 get, they turn into bullets. People cannot handle being disrespected. And there is a line between words and actions that somehow has been forgotten about. And now we live in a world where your words don't have to be about your actions. They don't even have to be related. A couple of months ago, Cardi B posted something on Twitter thanking the NYPD for slamming her head against an Escalade. The NYPD responded on her Twitter saying that in the area that she claimed this happened, all the police are wearing body cams and there are street cameras. So if she'd like to bring charges forward, they'd be more than interested to hear them and justice would be served. Within 15 minutes, Cardi B took the post down. She was lying. She wanted to get street credibility that she hadn't earned. She's still one of the most popular artists in the country right now because nobody cares. It hasn't affected her popularity. Drake lies to you. Nobody cares. 21 Savage lies to you. Post Malone lies to you. Nobody cares. When did this stop mattering? Where, where, where did this line happen? You know? And it, it, it makes me wonder... When integrity stopped mattering in this business. That's what I got. That's where I'm at on this. No, I mean, I think it's a very valid point. Um, the cult of celebrity is most evident in music where who you are perceived as is how you portray yourself in your lyrics and in, and in your art. And I think that especially is interesting to look at today where a lot of people project who they want to be and who they want to become like you said in their very first track 
There's a story recently, to the contrary. Okay. And uh, it's an artist that overnight I had to fall in love with because of who she is, of how, how she did it, how, how she used her celebrity. She's walking into a concert, her concert, and a little girl screams out to her, Lady Gaga, I want to be you when I grow up. And she gets down on her knees next to this little girl and says, Oh, no, 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 baby girl. You have to be you. The world is waiting to see what you can do. I'm wondering where people that understood that responsibility as an artist, where they understood that responsibility as a cult of personality. I, I wonder where they went. I... I was moved by that. Like that, that means a lot to me to see somebody do that. It means a lot to me when athletes kick the cameras out to, to take care of to take care of kids in need. It, it means something to me. That's important to me. People use their advantage to help others, and that's what I look for in an artist. You know, for uh, I mean, it's not, it's not going to make me like your music, but it's going to make me love you as a person. Yeah. It's going to make me always respect you and. I'll be a lot more forgiving of your music. <laughs> I'd like a lot. I'd like Britney Spears a lot more if she did some good shit for people. You know, I, I just, I don't know. Um, but that 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 made me love Lady Gaga. Maybe she's just a simple pop singer, but to me, she's a lot more than that now. You know, to, to me, she's a special pop singer. She's somebody who makes a difference in the world. Who, who indelibly changed a girl's life right right in one moment. Used her celebrity to be the biggest impact that this girl will probably ever have in her life. In a single moment. And that's special. And those artists are out there too. I don't wanna I don't wanna make it sound like they're all bad, the, the world's gone to shit or anything like that. Because with every bad story there's a good one. And I'm sure I'm sure lots of people have a good one. Um, Andrew McMahon, good story. Uh, He's the lead singer of uh, the fuck's name of that group, Jack's Mannequin, and there was one before it. It was like kind of on the, on the smaller end, but uh, he's been suffering with cancer his, his, his whole career. Before a show, he passed out. He had to go to the hospital. They set up fucking cameras. The band went and sat around him in the hospital playing acoustically. And he performed from his hospital bed. Never shut down the show and brought the fans into his life, into his experience. Can you imagine being a fan, loving a band that much, knowing that, you know, the singer is, is facing his death constantly, he's facing his, his terminal illness, he's constantly battling it. And now he's at his weakest moment, and his only thought is, all these people are here to see me. I, I have to do something. For they all got a TV screen. One big screen while he's in a hospital bed. Nobody wanted a refund. They all felt closer to him. They all felt brought in because that was real. I don't understand how people can like Drake. I don't understand how people can like this this inauthentic music. It's not... There's nothing from the heart. And that's what music is supposed to be. It's supposed to be an expression of yourself, of your passion, of your love, of your religion, of your of your faith of your spirituality of, of whatever it is that is inside you that's where music comes from that's that's where the beauty comes from drake it, it, doesn't, it doesn't come from anywhere it comes from a factory 
It's fake. It's synthesized. How can you love that? How can you defend that? How do you not see that? How does he have legions and legions of fans? I don't know. Somebody got to explain that to me. There are a lot of comments on these things, because I want to read people's comments and, and see if anybody can defend this. I mean, mostly the feedback that I get is there's a, like three or four people that send me hate mail. I just... <laughs> Dear Milo, you're a dick. And mostly just... Here's a picture of my last poop. <laughs> a big part of the realness in music and actually finding a significant moment in music and sharing that with everyone creating uh, a place in music. I don't know how much you know about this or how much you can speak to this, but the music that I really know and that I have always been a part of has been like the punk scene, the, the, uh, the metal scene. Um, so I don't know how much you can speak to. Very little. Alright. Um, so especially in like 90s grungy like punk like punk skater scenes I'm trying to go as mainstream as like I, I know here a lot <laughs> third groups alright uh, as mainstream as you can go as mainstream, uh, mainstream as I can go I guess would be like Blink-182 some 41 gotcha. yeah um I think it's as mainstream as I can go because I don't, I don't know if you Bony Rubble and the Constable I know that group that whole scene though was coming together through a lot of anger. Sure. <laughs> coming together. Um, there was a really fantastic documentary called The Other F Word with all of those guys from all those bands growing up like with a, like Black Flag. Like those guys, especially were a big part of the interview yeah. pool. Yep. Them growing up and just being like, okay, I'm a dad now. And my lack of dad was why I became a musician and how I wrote my music. And that loss of having a voice or that having a whole new um, point of view changed how Everlast, for example. The lead singer of Everlast, he had, in that documentary, talked about how he survived some terrible, terrible things as a, as a kid without, um, without his father and without a stable home life. And how now he's got um, a kid, and how he's trying to make that all better. And his music changed drastically, and his fan base shrunk. But he's still coming from that same honest place, and he started to gain that back a bit. And his and you know Everlast started to gain that back a bit. Um, other bands have started. There's like a blues feel though. Everlast, yeah, and that's that's what I dig. That's what I dig about Everlast. Yeah, but so many bands um, from that come from one very honest spot. Like you can't sustain that once you grow up. There's kind of almost like that. Uh, I disagree. Yeah, okay, tell, I disagree. tell me that other point. I, I I disagree a lot. And um, I just think that you have to embrace the evolution. Of, of who you are and the points that you're making, you know, uh, and it's, look, I think it's hard to even argue that the best music comes from angst. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know? I'm saying that, like, if you are a band who is basing all your music and all of your hits off of angst and anger and trying to find where you are, once you've grown up and found where you are... You're a one-trick pony. Yeah. That, and that's the difference between you being a band who's put out an album or two and being a great musician. It's why Peter Gabriel's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Black Flag isn't. 
Green Day has found a way to evolve. And believe me when I say that it pains me to even use Green Day as a strong example for anything. Because their music is simple. Very, very simple. Just some, um, well, I mean, like, how many people even know that Wake Me Up When September Ends is about? Does it matter? It's about uh, the, war in, the war in Iraq. Does it matter if the people don't identify with the song? True. Seal did something once. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Seal, Seal, Seal wrote inside uh, one of his albums, inside the prayer for the dying, that he will never include the lyrics inside his albums because sometimes what you hear the wrong lyrics that you hear are so profound to you and mean something special to you and then when you find out the lyrics are wrong it ruins the song for you and he doesn't want you to ever have that experience he wants the song to mean whatever it means the minute he records it it's no longer his it's now yours there's a really interesting way of looking at it, it just brought that up immediately for me it's oh, yeah. kind of shot it like that kind of shot in my head and and I really loved that idea I really love that idea that that it's true because you, you stop owning that song. It's the world owns it. That's a good point. If an artist's idea isn't communicated, people think the song is about one thing, it's about something else. I'm not sure it truly matters. I'm not sure it truly matters that they have the wrong idea of what the song is written about. If if they identify it in their own way. If they could feel like, look, you know what? Perfect example. Al Green, Let's Stay Together, is one of the most widely misinterpreted songs in history. And the misinterpretation is what people love. Fuck it. It's still Let's Stay Together. It's still the same damn song. You're just wrong about what you thought. Everybody still loves that song. It's still a classic. It doesn't, it doesn't devalue the song. It doesn't change it. How you identify with the song, how you interact with that song. That's that's the overall value of it. And it doesn't matter who wrote it, doesn't matter who sang it, doesn't matter which order that happened in. Look, two of the biggest songs in the world. You get the wrong artist if I told you. Respect. What you want, baby, I got it. What you need, you know I got it. Who did that? Franklin. Read the Franklin, right? Yeah. Otis Redding. Oh. Otis Redding did that first. I can't get no. Okay, I know that was a cover. Yep. Fuck. I can't get me no. It's all brass. Yeah, and I I had been specifically played once the original. Mm, probably by me. <laughs> No, actually it wasn't, but actually I'm glad that you also have it. Oh, surprised. I love it. Otis Redding. Also Otis Redding. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Okay. No, no. I was well, the old that. blues version of one bourbon, one scotch, one beer. We all know that feeling. We all know that message. It doesn't matter that George Thorogood meddled it up a little bit, made it a little rockier. And, you know, how many of us don't know that feeling of having going out in a bar, feeling that, that problem with your woman? Probably with your significant other, going out of the bar, having to put back a couple of beers, and all of a sudden you look up and it's time to close. You're closing out a bar, and there you are, and it's time to go. And bartender says, "Okay, it's the last drink." You're like, hey, "Give me three. <laughs> give me one bourbon, one scotch, one beer. Give me that extra. Help me out. Help me get through my moment." That translates through generations. It translates through genres. That's those are the great messages in music. The ones we can all identify with. Misinterpreted lyrics 
so be it. If I can interpret it in a way that speaks to me, does it matter if I'm wrong? Something to chew on. But I think that, again, brings it back to the whole idea of um, what music does for a place, time, and setting. Okay. What, what it does for the mood. You, you're going to bring into the space what you already have with you. Aren't you? Yes. Music can change that or it can complement it. Yeah. And I think to at least su- some degree it's going to complement it either way. I mean, if, if it's going to change it too drastically, you're just going to leave. If I'm miserable and I'm in an area of happy music, you may cheer me the fuck up. Sadness and anger are not far apart. I could take something that makes me sad, a moment that takes me sad, and go to a death metal show and get angry over it instead. <laughs> It'll transmute it. It's, it's not a far stretch. You can walk in the middle of a mosh pit, drop a couple of drop kicks on somebody, maybe feel a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's going to end a night good like a, like a bloody nose. Huh? And a drop kick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on that drop kick, where can people find you? Would you want them to get in contact with you? Could you they get in contact you know, I'm hiding with from you? the government right now. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Facebook. Dot com backslash Danks the DJ D A N X the DJ. You can find me there. It's the easiest place to find me. I'm on Mixcloud. Uh, I'm on all all social media. D A N X DJ D A N X. And uh, yeah, listen to my shit. Send me some uh, send me some info. You want to hear something different in the in the mixes? Want to hear something different in the music? Let me know. I'll incorporate that. Cool. I love sharing all different types of music and making. Listen to it and think about it in a way that you haven't heard of. I like showing the connective tissue between all the different styles of music, and that's that's really what I what I take pride in as a DJ. I like to create mixes that you can listen to in your car that you don't want to take out. And um, I'll post links to uh, your like any websites you have, oh, and, and, um, and uh, any SoundCloud or whatever where people can listen to some of your stuff. Um, uh, I think you've got like a second album coming out. I have, or you're uh, working I, on it. I, we're currently working on two different, um, but they're they're both part of a series. Um, okay. The Identity Crisis CDs. Um, yeah. I, I do regular mixes, which are usually one genre mixes. Uh, you know, like oh, this is a you know a house mix, this is a hip hop mix, or whatever. But then uh, once a year, I usually put out what's called Identity Crisis, which jumps from genre to genre. It's more of a fun CD, definitely definitely more of a car CD than a party CD. Um, and yeah, we're looking to do a double. This uh, this one coming up, so it's cool. pretty exciting. Some pretty exciting stuff. Some mashups. Uh, some really intricate. Uh, some really intricate mixing ideas. So nice. Yeah, looking forward to it. Definitely, I'll put all those links in the podcast notes. And um, and if you would like to get in touch with me, just send me an email at drinking with God. That's I N G drinking with God. And please follow us on Facebook, on Spotify, on Podbean, and continue to check us out and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And please stop by our Redbubble page and uh, buy some t-shirts and stickers and coffee mugs. Things that say, ask me about my death anxiety, or gay sex is my anti-drug, and other things like that. And um, thank you all, and stay weird out there. You know what I mean when I say, I look around for the answer.